Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. We are going to have a really interesting conversation, especially if you are a care partner um, or a professional uh, or family member. It doesn't make any difference caring for a loved one uh, with any form of dementia. There's so many overlaps. We are lucky enough to have the author with us today of the Alzheimer's Canyon, but before I introduce her, I always like to welcome all of our new guests. We have listeners all around the world, and I just thank you for following uh, following us and participating in the show. This is a live show, so if you want to call in and have a question rega- uh, regarding the conversation here today, that number is 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. Eight seven zero four six zero two, and um, I also want to give a shout out to the Mark Arneson Band. They're so kind and let us use their opening music called Clarion Call, which I really enjoy. And uh, you can enjoy it too by downloading it on any of your favorite music platforms if you like. I'm going to do just a couple of shout outs, and one I'm kind of like shouting from the rooftops because. Um, I have been asked for over 10 years now to make my signature story, one of my, my keynotes that I do when I'm speaking, um, into a book. And it's called Betty the Bald Chicken. And we now are doing pre-sales on that. And it's all about lessons in how to care. It's a children's book. It's short. It's only like 30 pages. Um, the illustrations are fabulous. And it isn't necessarily dementia-specific. It talks about how we care as a society. And, you know, that could mean um, anytime you don't feel like you fit in anymore or you're under the weather, how do we how do we help ourselves and how do we help someone else? So go to alzheimerspeaks.com and just click on the, the book tab and you'll get more information about Betty the Bald Chicken. It would make a a great gift um, for for adults and for children alike. I think it'll be a wonderful story for especially parents and grandparents to um, share with their kids. But I've been told by librarians and teachers, oh, no, we've got to get this into the schools as well. So um, please check that out. While you're at alzheimerspeaks.com, you can also click on our free resource tab, and there you will find all kinds of great information from our dementia chats, which highlights those living with dementia, some dementia quick tips, which is just 
my journey and some things I wish someone would have told me. Um, information on dementia-friendly communities and memory cafes. We've got a poetry section. You can access Dementia Map, uh, where you can look up um, 150 different categories. There's also events you can participate in. Uh, there's uh, uh, terminology, because you know when you when you get pulled into this, there's a lot we don't know. Um, so check out and uh, just go to alzheimerspeaks.com. You'll be able to access uh, a variety of information there. We are going to hear from the adaptive equipment and caregiving corner, and then we'll be right back to introduce you to our guest. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest, there are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the footbar walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Well, we are back, and it's time to introduce our guest. Jane Duelmo is a nurse. She's a Unitarian uh, Universal Minister, and she is an author who lives in Vermont. And she and her husband, Sky Yardley, chronicled his years living with dementia in a, in a blog, and now she's made that into a book. And the book is entitled Alzheimer's Canyon. There's a, there is one way in and no way out. And boy, does that sum things up. So today I know we're going to have a, a lively conversation that's going to be really insightful. If you saw the picture um, of her husband, Sky, with his cap, there's a story behind that. But the smiles on their face show us that they were still able to find joy in the journey. Now, again, we are live, and so if you'd like to add to this conversation, make a comment or uh, have a question regarding uh, caring for a loved one with dementia, feel free to call in at 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. So, Jane, I'm thrilled to have you on the show with us today. Thanks so much for taking time to be with us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm I'm really excited. You know, it's uh, it's a lot to go through this journey, and it's a lot to document as well. And so I think our audience is going to find this really, really uh, a very interesting story. Uh, But before I kind of go in my line of questions, I always ask everybody if they've been touched by dementia. Needless to say, you have been. Um, So I'm wondering if you can share maybe a little bit more about Sky 
and um, you know when he got diagnosed and, and what type of dementia he had. Well, um, I started noticing that maybe something wasn't quite right uh, about four years before he was diagnosed. I had worked, one of my nurse jobs was working in a memory care facility, and so I was quite aware of dementia. And, you know, Sky was a, he was a very laid back kind of guy who was, you know, known to be a little spaced out at times, you know, a great procrastinator. So, he and I both chalked up a lot of what was going on to the fact that he wasn't paying attention and mm-hmm. he was just spacing out too much. But as time went on, he um, he no longer had any spatial skills. And he and I had built um, six houses together and done a lot of um, renovation work in New Orleans after Katrina. And he had built several buildings before I met him. And actually when I met him, he was a truck driver. Um, I had a small restaurant and he delivered my produce on Thursday afternoons. And um, he, I was always amazed at how he could drive this truck and he could back it into the tiniest little spaces and, you know, with like that it was not a big deal. So the fact that he, he was lost his spatial skills, his sense of directions. He couldn't back the car up. He couldn't do carpentry. He, he really struggled to um, do carpentry and ha- how to run the saw and how to measure a two by four. And so at that point, I said, you know, I think it's something more than you being spaced out. This was about three years. This was by 2015. And it took a year. Um, before he was willing to get tested um and so that was the summer of 2016 and he he finally agreed to because we were renovating a house with our son and his partner and sky sky really realized then that he couldn't do carpentry um and he was so frustrated because he loved doing carpentry and all of a sudden it just didn't make any sense to him oh that's that's a big difference there. That's a, a big, big difference. Now, were there any other family members or friends that had dementia too that, that you were dealing with or or, um, or knew about? Um, not, not really, not in my family. I mean, my mother was quite elderly by the time she died. She was 96 and, you know, she, as she said, all of me is falling apart. So, you know, it wasn't really Alzheimer's. It was just she was done with life, mostly. Um, in Skye's family, he had a grandmother that that had dementia, but but really more health problems. You know, the other health problems really were what ended her life as, as quite an elderly woman. Um, so we were both pretty startled by this. Because otherwise he was in perfect health. There was absolutely, you know, nothing wrong with him um, physically. So, um, and we'd we'd always, we'd been organic farmers. I mean, we'd lived, you know, the quote unquote kind of, the kind of life you're supposed to live with exercise and eating well and having a good social life and using your mind. You know, Sky used to, he did crossword puzzles every day. And for a while he created them for our local newspaper um, so it wasn't for lack of any of all those things you're supposed to do to prevent dementia. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Now, for for Sky himself, how did he deal with the changes? How, you know, emotionally, that can be just such a difficult, difficult thing. Um, so many people, you know, are in denial and go, no, no, it's not happening to me. Um, others sometimes say that's the family members doing that. But, but how did Sky deal with, you know, when you hear that diagnosis, um, I should really ask how both of you dealt with it up front. Well, he embraced it. I, I mean, this was a miracle and a blessing um, because this would not have gone well for me if he had been in denial. Um, mm-hmm. But he was—he he was a very intelligent, curious person, and so you know, once he agreed to be tested, he was curious about all the different kinds of tests they were running on him, um, and found joy in the curiosity of that and experiencing that. Um, and, and of course, he was completely devastated to get the diagnosis. And he probably cried every day for three months. Well, we both did. <laughs> um, so he, he, he said, I want to find my people. I want to meet with other people who have this so I can talk with them Mm -hmm. um, and share in the experience. And he was very frustrated that he was unable to find those people um, because so many people are in denial. Um, We met several other couples and, you know, so we'd meet for coffee and the spouse without dementia and I would have a great time talking and Sky would try to talk to the person with dementia about having dementia and the the person was always in denial about it, you know, and they were happy to talk about politics or the weather or, you know, kind of regular things. And Sky just was so frustrated. And that was one reason that we started the blog is that he wanted to talk about it. And um, so he began writing And then we uh, wrote a sermon called Living with Dementia, and we went on a nationwide sermon tour for a year, speaking at 25 um, congregations across the country and also holding a workshop if the congregation wanted that. And there Sky began to meet some of his people because in each congregation we went to, somebody came out as having dementia and they hadn't told people yet. So Mm -hmm. Sky was was thrilled about that. He really felt like that he was making a difference in the world um, to help people accept that dementia is just another illness and it's nothing to be afraid of and there shouldn't be such stigma around it. Oh, I I so, so agree. The stigma is so heavy and that feeling of isolation and not being able to connect with others is, I mean, it's devastating. You know, the loneliness and the, the awkwardness and the frustration. I mean, there's so many different emotions wrapped up in that. It's it's um, it's critical that we are able to connect people to others. And that's what I love about some of the groups like Dementia Mentors and Dementia Action Alliance. And, um, you know, there's, there's several of them out there that really lift and raise the voice of those living with the disease because gosh, you know, we can, we can uh, guess all we want um, and we can come pretty close, but we don't always know, you know, the actual truth of what it's like. 
um, and how they're feeling all the time. Anyways, that's my belief. Do you, uh, maybe, maybe your belief is a little bit different with, with your journey with, with Sky. Oh, no, we, we wanted to connect as well. And we went to two Dementia Action Alliance conferences and we, we gave a workshop at one of them. Um, and, you know, Sky was, was, you know, and got involved with Dementia Mentors and he was, you know, he was happy to connect, but he, he, he would have liked somebody local, you know, mm-hmm. because as time went on, meeting via Zoom became confusing for him. Um, and he, you know, he, he just would have preferred it to be local. But so when he went to live in the memory care facility for his last year, he was thrilled because he was with his people finally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, that's, that's wonderful to hear. You know, I always like to ask people, and this is, people think it's a goofy question, but I always find it fascinating how you picked the title to the book. Oh, well, this is all Sky. <laughs> um, I had nothing to do with this. Um, he, in the, in the book, there are um, 11 episodes. This is a, you know, a fantasy parable that he made up about Alzheimer's Canyon, one way in and no way out. And it starts with, you know, the doctor in his highway flagger outfit flagging Sky off the interstate down this rutted one-way dirt road to Alzheimer's Canyon. And then in the 11 episodes, there are all these adventures that the, and it's not Skye's, you know, the, the character has a different name. But anyway, the, the, the character who lands in Alzheimer's Canyon has a lot of adventures that are completely hysterical and irreverent. And it, Skye just loved writing these. And I was sorry when he, he, he lost the ability to write because he could have gone on and on about this. It, would, it was completely hysterical. <laughs> Can you give us an example of, of one of the stories that just kind of still cracks you up that shows the kind of the heart and soul of, of Sky and how he was dealing with this? Well, in the first episode, you know, as he makes his way down the, the rutted dirt track and, and he comes to the the Canyon Visitor Center, you know, like places mm-hmm. have and he he goes in to try to find out you know where he is and what's going on because this this road was not on his map um and so he really wasn't expecting it and he goes into the interactive visitor center and tries to run the exhibits and they don't work and so he goes and complains at the front desk and the woman said oh well the exhibits are only for the caregivers they're not for the sufferers and you know mm-hmm. and he's like okay i have a guidebook here um but but it's blank and the the woman at the front desk says yeah it's blank we don't know anybody's paths just start here and this guy's like mm-hmm. i'm so frustrated i'm so frustrated i want information i want you know somebody to tell me something and anyway the the woman just doesn't treat the poor guy who's landed there very well and, um, you know, suggests that maybe he needs to go, you know, chill out somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so he does. And then he goes to the restaurant and has a very nice dinner. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. 
little food always helps there. <laughs> well, it, it's, I think it's interesting, uh, you know, that you've got the, you know, he's got these episodes, you know, pulled through because it does give people a different perspective of what it feels like, you know, like, I, I, like you said, I want help. I want guidance. I want clarity. Where is it all? And, uh, you know, it's just like, you have that or you have that. And, uh, you know, we can't, we can't, we can't fill in those blanks for you. Um, what was the hardest thing you think, you know, for you in terms of, of caring for Sky? Um, well, see, now you're going to make me cry. <laughs> um, That's okay. I'll probably cry right with you. That's perfectly fine on this show. The, the hardest part was um, that, that Sky and I had a had a true partnership um, as a couple, um, and we we it's not that we did everything together, but we really worked together. You know, between our farm and raising our kids, and um, then when we left the farm and and took up our careers. Anyway, you know, we just always worked with each other to to try to have the best path forward. And, um, you know, we were best friends and told each other everything. And after, I don't remember exactly when it was, sometime in the first year after his diagnosis, he said to me, he said, don't tell me everything anymore. I can't handle it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like, oh, my God, I, you know, I'm losing my best friend. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I have several very close women friends, but that's, that's a different kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly could tell all of them everything, but it's it's different when you're living with somebody and you're used to just blurting out whatever is going on for you. Um, so, you know, that was hard. I was able to tell him things that I was happy about. He mostly just didn't want to hear about anything that was hard for me or, or mm-hmm. if I didn't feel well or something like that because it was hard for him to process that. Um, and he also knew he was losing the ability to care for me um, mm-hmm. if something was going on for me. Though it's interesting that several people who have read the book um, have said to me recently that well, you, may have, you may have felt like you lost the partnership that you had pre-diagnosis, but it, it, they said it's obvious you still had a partnership. It was just a different kind of partnership, mm-hmm. um, navigating navigating his dementia. And so I was really pleased to hear that, that people were able to pick that up from the book, um, that we still did have a partnership. It was just different. Yeah, yeah. Well, did Sky, I hear this from so many people, and, and maybe this wasn't for Sky, but I, I have heard... I can't even tell you, countless uh, people living with dementia saying they felt like they lived almost with more purpose than they did prior um, to the disease. I think there's a lot of people in the world that just don't feel purposeful per se um, and are really adamant about making a difference in a certain area. And I know uh, from our conversations that that was important you know, for Sky to get out there and, and speak and talk about this stuff and, and try to help others. Um, do you think he felt more purposeful? It sounds like he was a pretty purposeful guy to begin with. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was a very purposeful guy. I think that was one of the things that I fell in love with. Um, is he was just really clear that his, you know, our our big passion in our, you know, the pre-dementia years, and then even in the dementia years, was concern for the planet and climate change. And you know, that was why we were organic farmers for a while, and we always tried to live simply on a small footprint and all that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, he he was known to get arrested at climate demonstrations and, you know, whatever. So <laughs> he, he he did have great purpose in his life. And okay. then when the dementia came along, he was like, new purpose, here we go. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to embrace this and do what I can. Well, that's that's great. Um, yeah, he just sounds like a, an absolutely wonderful, wonderful man. Um, in terms of of placing, you know, him into a memory care. How did that decision come about? Because that is probably the most difficult decision most families have. And if you can tell our audience, was he part of that or was that your decision? No, he was completely part of it. Um, It was, you know, given that I had been a nurse in a memory care facility, I was like, I can do this. This is not going to be hard for me. This is, I'm familiar with this. And, and heaven's sakes, I don't know how families do it that don't have some kind of those skills already. You know, like I understood about diapers and helping people bathe and feeding them and, you know, the, all that physical stuff and transfers and things. Um, but what I didn't expect is, our son put it so succinctly, I didn't think taking care of Sky would mean that we wouldn't sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out on autopsy that Sky had both Lewy body dementia and Alzheimer's equally and extensively. And so starting starting about two years before he died, he he was hallucinating a okay. lot. Um, and and ha- generally happy hallucinations, not frightening ones. Though, you know, sometimes there would be the you know the police were outside or the water main had broken or you know something. Um, mm-hmm. But he would he was a big fan of waking me up in the middle of the night to tell me about his hallucination, mm-hmm. and he would go back to sleep and I wouldn't. Um, and it just started wearing on me and we were living in a duplex with our son and his partner. And that, that was a deliberate move when, when Sky got diagnosed, you know, cause they said that they would help care for him. And that was happening. You know, our son even quit his job to help. Um, but it just, it just wasn't enough. Nobody was getting enough sleep and um, our local memory care facility offered a respite program and actually one of the first things Sky did after his diagnosis within the first month is he went to that memory care facility to visit it and talk mm-hmm. to the staff there so he he knew this place existed he had visited there um, he knew they offered the respite program two weeks to two months um, and so um, I went to talk to them to find out more details about that and the price and all that kind of thing. And, and then Sky and I went and spent a day there um, and he went to activities and he met people. We had lunch and he said, sure, 
you know, I'll do this. I know you need a break. Um, so I'm happy to go for respite. And, mm-hmm. and then our kids were like, no, wait a minute. You know, we can take care of Sky. So, mm-hmm. so we had a sort of a family confab about this. And, mm-hmm. um, and then they both finally, they, they sent me off to spend a few days by myself and they agreed to take care of Sky. And that's when they finally said, oh, hey, no sleep. This is not, you know, sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> <Yep>. Sky can, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's have Sky go for respite. So it was going to be a two week respite and I was all excited because I was going to, it was winter and I was going to go lay on a beach somewhere and drink cocktails and read novels and sleep. Um, and then, you know, feel like I could take care of him. Well, he went to the memory care facility on March 10th, 2020, which is when the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. Um, and within a week, Vermont went on lockdown and mm-hmm. I wasn't even allowed to see him. The governor allowed no visits at any um, senior living facilities until the end of June. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like, okay, this is, this is where Sky is staying because with the pandemic, we just knew it wouldn't be safe for him to be at home because he wouldn't understand about the lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just thought it was better to leave him there and, and, he loved it there. He just loved it there. He never once asked to come home. Um, he he would call me and regale me with whatever his latest hallucination was, which was always happy. He was usually traveling or, or doing something interesting. And the staff, you know, I mean, the poor staff had to deal with no family members coming in to help, bless their hearts. Um, but they were really good at, at keeping in touch um, the nurses and social workers, and um, it really it turned out to be like the very best thing for everybody. Guy was so happy to be with his people; he felt safe. Um, our house had been broken into a few months before that, and I, I think you know, even though he never said that that was bothering him, I think it was kind of always there. He never tried to like escape out of the facility or anything like he Mm -hmm. just was so happy to be there and I was so happy to sleep I I really was and not have to worry about him that lack of sleep I I mean that's a I mean that literally can be a killer uh for Mm -hmm. for many you know care partners and people don't I mean you don't realize it until you don't you don't have it. And and then when you don't have it and you keep not having it, then it becomes your new norm. And then you stop thinking twice about it, but you're, you're functioning. I mean, I know I did that, uh, you know, uh, kind of half kilter and, um, yeah. and you don't, and you don't even realize it uh, at times, right. you know, and, and no. until, I don't know, something, something might make me crack, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, I would snap because I was just so exhausted. I exactly. just, no, it's like, it's like having a new baby, you know, mm-hmm. um, I didn't do well with new babies, you know, mm-hmm. and not getting enough sleep and Sky, he was, he was the one who should have had the babies because he was a person that could handle not having enough sleep. 
Um, and so bless his heart, he was the one, you know, I would nurse them, but he was the one who changed diapers and would walk them in the middle of the night and all that kind of thing. Otherwise, I wouldn't have survived having infants either, mm-hmm. you know. So we're all different about that. But, yeah, not enough sleep is not great. Yep, exactly, exactly. And, uh, again, I, I can't caution people enough to just, monitor that yourself because as much as you want to care um you you can't care really good when you're just exhausted and you know for many not all but for many you can have a transition like Jane and Sky did but i think so many families are afraid to talk about that or to have their person have a choice in the matter uh and and i hear that a lot from other people living with dementia was you know, I, I want to look around. I want to see where I'm going. I want to have a say in that. But my family doesn't want to talk about it. And so they yeah. kind of feel lost on that. So it, it's a tough one. I mean, it's not anybody's number one pick of this is how we would choose life to be. But did you find that, you know, when he moved in there then and you were getting sleep and, you know, he was he had friends and things there, that you could kind of get back to your the core of your relationship of of just being a wife instead of you know doing all these caring tasks. Yeah, I mean I felt I felt like we went back to being friends mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Um you know, cuz cuz when he would call, you know, he I left it that he would call me when he wanted to talk to me rather than me calling him because that would often confuse him. Um, And so it was, we'd have these great conversations and sometimes it would last two minutes and sometimes it would last 15 minutes and I never knew. um, But I always went with it, you know, and, and actually the phone calls were better than once we were allowed um, in-person visits. They were all, uh, outside, masked and gowned, six feet apart, no touching. And mm-hmm. that was really confusing for Sky mm-hmm. um, because he knew it was me, but he was um, physically, at that point, he was unable to hold his head up. And so he was looking at the ground. He couldn't see me. Okay. He could only okay. hear me. And I would try to, like, sit on the ground and see if I could, like, lay down on the ground enough that he – because I couldn't get close enough. Um, mm-hmm. And we were being monitored by the staff, so, you know, there was no there was no sneaking around. Um, mm-hmm. And then that only lasted over the summer because it's Vermont, and mm-hmm. they wanted – outside um you know they tried to have visits in in like a little living room but that just got awkward and then we went into the second lockdown um that fall um and so it was just back to phone calls and luckily i was able to to go to the facility and be there 24 7 when he was finally dying and that was Mm -hmm. really great okay okay that um how, how did you do you know with COVID, I mean, in the separation, was that kind of a, a blessing in some ways, or was that just really frustrating for you? Well, for him? in 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 retrospect, um, you know, at the time it didn't feel like a blessing, um, but in retrospect, I think it was um, mm-hmm. because 
if if there hadn't been COVID, I would have felt like I needed to visit him every day. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that would have been good for either of us. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he really liked the freedom of his life there to kind of come and go and do what he want and participate in activities or not, or have a nap or not, or like whatever. And that he might've felt some kind of obligation to Mm -hmm. chat with me rather Mm -hmm. than doing what he really wanted. Um, And then I also think about my life. What would my life have been like if I was, driving to this facility, you know, because it was a drive mm-hmm. every day, you know, I don't know. I, I was enjoying, I, I didn't like not being with him, but I was enjoying my life, I have to say. Um, I'm a big gardener and it was, you know, spring was coming and so I put in an enormous garden and I spent my summer, you know, caring for the garden, um, mm-hmm. which was very satisfying. Um mm-hmm. So it was, you know, it was rough because it was the pandemic and none of us knew how this was going to fly. And so, yeah, it was, I think the pandemic was actually a blessing, even though it was Mm -hmm. hard not to be with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can only imagine. I, I I mean, I, I, my mom died in 2014 and I know when COVID hit, I was like thankful that I didn't have to deal with that. And, and, you know, she was living in a nursing home and had been there for, um, for quite a while. Uh, she, she ended up living there, uh, gosh, what was it? 14 years, but oh, that would have, that would have been really, really, I, I just, I, I can't even imagine how difficult um, that would have been. Uh, to to deal with COVID, and I've I've heard so many stories, you know, with people of trying to visit. Uh, in fact, I had a girlfriend whose whose mom was in a nursing home, and her brother twice brought over an extended ladder. She was on like the second or third floor, and he he climbed up and knocked on the window so he could see her. <laughs> you <know>? Oh man, <laughs> I, I know. Oh. And uh, but you know, it was just adamant that he he needed to he needed that he needed to be able to check on her and see how she was doing and and things and you know it's just a difficult difficult time you know in your book you uh you note demented logic can you explain that to our audience what what Uh, what is demented logic that must be something sky talked about right Um, I, I would have to refresh myself by looking at that. Um, he just, he was, um, he wasn't afraid of calling himself demented. Uh Um, I, I think it's like, you know, that, that lesbians call themselves dykes, but, but they don't want anybody else to do that or, you Mm know, whatever, um, you know, or or black people use the N-word among themselves, but they don't want anybody else to use it. And he was happy to say he was demented. Uh-huh. And that that was, that was just another way of being. It wasn't any better or any worse. It just mm-hmm. was. And, yeah. um, and, and sometimes things made sense and sometimes things didn't make sense. And he, like, 
didn't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he just went with it. Yeah, I and think you know was... he went he went with his hallucinations. He, uh, he just he loved so many of his hallucinations, this, particularly the ones um, that were part of the natural world. Like the natural world became alive for him. Um, trees and flowers, like he could have conversations with them, and it was incredible to hear about. Mm -hmm. And then he would be so frustrated that we all couldn't do that too. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it just makes me wonder, you know, maybe that is a reality and you have to be in a certain place to be able to communicate with trees, you know, like mm -hmm. so much we don't yeah. know. Well, um, I know. And it was just lovely. Yeah, I know my mom used to, you know, they would say hallucinate and, but she would be really calm and she was talking with people that passed and people are like, isn't that upsetting to you? And I'm like, why should it be upsetting to me? It's not upsetting to her. Right. You know, exactly. she, she she's calm. <laughs> she's content. She's very happy. She's talking with her mom and her brother and her dad who, you know, she all loved. And, you know, I, I felt that we were really lucky, you know, that, that she had kind of peaceful hallucinations, you know, compared to some people with Louis body, they can get really aggressive and, 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 right. and just scared, you know, where they're fighting for their lives and stuff. Um, right. Yeah. So I, I dug through the book here to, to get back to this demented logic page and he yes. was planting spinach in the garden and oh. he was waiting for it to come up waiting for it to come up waiting for it to come up and he knew he read the package and he followed the steps and and then he says yeah i got i i i uh got the seeds out of the pack i i hoed the rows i i placed the seeds at the proper depth i covered the seeds with uh-oh and he never covered the seeds <laughs> you know, in there and, you know, but again, you know, there's that phrase out there, you know, don't argue with a person with dementia because you're not, you're not going to win because yeah. we typically right. try to have our own logic. So maybe he was kind of playing on, you know, he was very logical. He was very purposeful, but he missed, right. Steps, you know, and <laughs> right. it was, it was one of those, those critical, critical steps. Um, now, yeah, no. And he, you know, he'd been a farmer, like he hardly needed to like, you know, it's just like how he couldn't do carpentry anymore, you know, uh -huh. and yet he could still write like he wrote until not long before he went into the memory care facility. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, he's got another one in here. So why am I doing this? You know, and, <laughs> and I'm sure that there are a lot of questions like that because as care partners, we we tend to give more directions, I think, a lot of times than give people choice in terms of, of what it is they're doing. And um, that can all, all get lost, you know, in the process there. But, you know, this is just a really um, friendly read. And, um, you know, he, he's got examples here of navigating the biggest hotel in the world. And, right. I mean, <laughs> that is one of the things people hate is hotel rooms they can't find anything you know and uh 
and it, it is and, true. And it, took, it, it took it took me spending time with him because you know, this was a hotel in New York City where where it was a cheap hotel across from Penn Station, great location, and you know we had stayed there a lot anytime we went to New York. So he was familiar with the hotel, but once he had dementia, he saw things that we didn't see before, like the pattern on the carpet mm-hmm. made him crazy. Like yep. it made it hard for him to walk down the hallway, mm-hmm. whereas carpet patterns, like it doesn't bother me, you know. So it was really interesting to learn about this stuff from his perspective, you know, things that the rest of us take for granted mm-hmm. makes people with dementia not able to navigate a space. I mean, I loved the uh, one of my favorite ones is his getting lost on the train, mm-hmm. um, which is the same kind of thing that all of a sudden he, it doesn't make sense to him about how to navigate going from one car to another on a train, whereas we'd gone on a lot of trains together. We love traveling by train. And then all of a sudden it just didn't make sense to him anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I remember Norms McNamara who's living with Louis body and he wrote about the carpet situation and he said it was, you know, like a green carpet with gold vines and these flowers and the gold vines to him were like snakes coming up off the ground. Mm-hmm. Oh. And he said it was just absolutely horrible. And people don't understand, you know, just because somebody looks the way they've always looked doesn't mean right. that they're processing the way they, they've always processed. And that goes not only for eyesight, but for hearing, speech, um, touch even. I, I uh, remember doing a, a program in Wisconsin with a, a gal who, um, oh gosh, I can't think of her name. I feel bad. She was a she was a, a pastor in Wisconsin, and she did a lot of speaking as well um, on her dementia. And they were going to have her do the same thing. And I I talked with her, and I said I'd really like to have you talk about how your senses have changed. And she says, Oh, they really haven't. And I said. You know, I think it was Mary Kay was her name. And I said, Mary Kay, I would I would really, really appreciate it if you would just take the weekend and just double check. Maybe I'm wrong, but and then we'll touch base on Monday. She got back and she said, Oh my gosh, I had no idea how much all of my senses have changed. And she talked about smell and taste and touch and you know how people approach her and her eyesight and um, her hearing and it was it was unbelievable because we hear about well they you know they can't remember or executive function but there's so many other levels to this that aren't discussed and and I just find it just a fascinating conversation when we're talking with people with dementia because they're the ones that are experiencing it. That's the only way we're really going to know these things. Um, right. You know, to, a test isn't going to cut it with that. And so right. that's what I love, you know, in your book. I mean, you can really hear Sky's voice and yours as well, um, you know, through throughout the book. And it's, it's pretty magical because, like you said, you know, in the beginning, too, there are some hilarious stories in here. And and I don't know, but I feel like a lot of people lose their sense of humor because they think they're not supposed to um, laugh, you know, when somebody is sick. And it's like you're not laughing at them. You're laughing at the situation, 
You know, if, right. if I did something goofy, you'd be laughing at me. You wouldn't be thinking twice. And you'd probably hang it over my head for years, you know. And and some of those goofy things, like with my own mom who lived with it for 30 years, I mean, there's some of my those are some of my fondest memories, you know, of yes. things that we went through Scott, together. Sky had a great sense of humor anyway. And, mm-hmm. and one of the early things he did you know, within a few weeks after his diagnosis is he got a, he put together an email list of his closest friends mm-hmm. and said, okay, everybody send me your favorite dementia joke. And he collected dementia jokes. You know, it was, it's too bad he never wrote a blog post about it because, you know, he, he was happy to laugh about it, you yeah. know, and maybe an hour later where he'd cry about it, but he would still laugh about it. And that was mm-hmm. one of the things he loved about wearing his brain hat, mm-hmm. which is on the picture on the back of the book. Um, I knitted this hat for him, and he um, he wore it everywhere, except when it was too hot in the summer. Um, and people would stop him on the street and say, oh, I love your hat. I love your hat. And he'd say, well, let me tell you about my hat. Mm-hmm. I have dementia, and he he did it as a conversation starter, and also to see what people would say. And you know, half the people would say "oh" and walk away, and the other half of the people would say "oh, my grandmother had that, or my uncle had that, or my colleague had that," and they'd want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And he just felt like this simple, simple thing he did made a a big difference. Um, in a lot of people's lives he was you know he remembered one man who's like you know let me show you a picture of my wife you know she had Mm -hmm. to mention she's died but here she is look she's so happy you know it was like he was so touched by those simple conversations that he had with people well they were sharing real stories of real life you know it's not the weather and the baseball score you know it's it's very intimate conversations, and and I think that is one of the things that a, a lot of family members sometimes and, and professionals don't understand the importance of these support groups for people living with dementia, for them to be around their peers, to be able to talk yeah. with people that really understand. I mean, we think we understand, but you know, they also yeah. know we're preoccupied sometimes, and we're half listening or. Um, or we're frustrated because they're not getting what we're saying or whatever it is, you know, or they're yeah. themselves. I mean, it's, it's like so many things, you know, we, we don't ever know what someone else is going through, like whatever, mm-hmm. whether it's, whether it's an illness like cancer or dementia or, you know, MS or Parkinson's or whatever, you know, we only know our own reality and we, we, we we color our vision is colored by our own reality um to mm-hmm. not really understand anybody else and that's why i'm so appreciative that sky was so open about this talking about mm-hmm. it writing about it um to for me to get a glimpse into what was going on for him cuz otherwise how would i have known just just hanging around with him if he didn't talk about it i wouldn't I wouldn't understand about the hallucinations or his double vision or, um, you know, he was so frustrated. He was a a wonderful pianist, but, but with the dementia, he got double vision only when Mm -hmm. he was looking at the piano, um, that there were twice as many keys as normal. 
Um, oh, isn't that interesting? And, you know, we went to a, you know, special eye doctor and a neuro-ophthalmologist, and they tested, you know, like everything. And then the guy said, it's a dementia. There's nothing wrong with your eyes. Mm-hmm. And and that was a sad thing because this guy really, you know, he played the piano as a as a kind of a soothing activity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when the kids were little, it was sing-alongs, but, you know, when he was kind of by himself, he would play for his own pleasure and his own comfort, and he lost that, mm-hmm. um, uh-huh. which is too bad. Um, that was really kind of the biggest thing that he lost right away. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he eventually lost, obviously, a lot of other skills. He loved riding his bike, and that was another thing that brought him a lot of comfort and pleasure with going on long bike rides. And then he got to a point where he just didn't have the balance anymore mm-hmm. um, to be mm-hmm. able to do that. And then he tried going for long walks, and then he also had balance issues with long walks, and then he eventually got lost. Um, uh-huh. going on a long walk and so that was that was the last long walk <laughs> um, okay. by himself yeah no he was really lucky because he we were in ta- you know in our town where he certainly was you know had walked and biked a lot and he just you know he just couldn't find his way home and he happened to come across our dentist's office and uh-huh. he recognized the sign and he went in and they very graciously called me, and mm-hmm. I went and picked them up, and, you know, that was wonderful of them. Yeah. Yeah, oh, for but, sure. You know, yes. Well, our hour so. has, like, flown by here, but I want to give you um, just a, a couple of minutes to talk about, um, with our audience, were there gifts in in your dementia journey with Sky? Uh, um, well, the biggest gift was that he talked about it, you know, mm-hmm. and that he worked with it. And he, he, you know, with each loss, he didn't, he didn't grieve really. He was like, okay, I can't do this. But what can I do? You know, mm-hmm. uh, and there is one one of the blog posts in the book where he he lists all the things that he still could do, even though there were other things, you know, that he couldn't. And that's really a, a lesson for all of us, mm-hmm. um, because all of us at some point are going to lose abilities, whether it's just from aging or from a car accident or a disease or, you know, it's that's part of life is losing abilities. And to, I learned so much from him about handling it graciously, which I'm not so sure I would do. Our kids both said, it's really great that Sky had dementia and not you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping that whatever ends my life is something I can handle as graciously as Sky handled um, his. It's for the sake of my kids, if nothing else. Well, he sure sounds like a wonderful man and a wonderful role model. Um, you can find out more about uh, their book, again, Alzheimer's Canyon, uh, One Couple's Reflection on Living with Dementia. 
And it really is about that one way in and no way out uh, type phrase. And uh, we've got links uh, to their site, uh, rootstockpublishing.com forward slash authors and then forward slash Jane dash. And then last name is D-W-I, N is in Nancy, E-L-L. And you can reach Jane by just um, going to her Facebook page at Jane dot, again, D-W-I, N is in Nancy, E is in Edward L.L. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and, and taking the time and the effort to, to um, take everything off that blog and put it into a book form. I really do think people are going to enjoy enjoy the story. They're going to feel uplifted. And I think so often, you know, some of the books can be really scary. Um, but it, this is just uh, formatted and told in such a, a gracious way loving, humorous way uh, that I think it'll bring a lot of comfort to people and knowing that the sky found peace in the journey. And, yeah. and, and you know. And pe- people should feel free to ask their library to get a copy so more yep. people will have access to the book. And their exactly. local bookstore, wherever people like to get books. They don't have to get it from me or from Rootstock. They can just buy it wherever they like to buy their books. Exactly, exactly. And there's a a lot of uh, uh, libraries now that are dementia-friendly. They have a section um, specific to this, which I'm so thrilled because, gosh, I remember looking for my mom, and it was like, well, is it self-help? Is it medical? Where the heck do I go? (laughs) You know, it's just one of those things where you feel like a ping-pong ball, you know, bounced around. And stuff. Yeah. So again, thank you, yeah. Jane, so I, much for your time sure. today. I really do appreciate it very much. Um, sure, my pleasure. <laughs> okay, take care. And audience, please like, click, and share. This is this is an imp- another important conversation that will give people peace and comfort, and some resources and different perspectives on how to how to deal with dementia when it knocks on on their own door. Have a blessed week, everyone. Bye bye. Hi everyone, this is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me, listen now, search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.